Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Whoever's doing well out there, we're really in the thick of awards season now. Just this week, we've gotten the nominations from the DGA, the Art Directors Guild, the Cinema Audio Society, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, American Society of Cinematographers, and of course, the Anime Award nominations, with PGA Awards and Cinema Eye Honor winners coming out the day this episode comes out. Uh, Oscar nomination voting is also officially open, I believe, so we're really starting to see those campaigns ratchet up. On my end, I'm actually in a pretty good place uh, pre-race rise, right? I've seen all 13 films that I think have some reasonable shot at Best Picture. Uh, one of my mo- on my most recent list of about 40 or so films um, that I think will will get nominated, I've seen about 26 or so. Um, of the remaining films, the only ones not immediately available on streaming or rental um, uh, of some sort are Ferrari, which is still in theaters and I'm planning on trying to see in the next week or so. Um, the animated film Robot Dreams, which admittedly does not yet have a release date, but at least has a trailer, so it will be coming out in theaters. Um, and as of right now, my fifth pick for international film Totem uh, from Mexico uh, does have a release date for January 26th after the nomination, so even if it doesn't get nominated, if, you know, even if it does get nominated, I'll be able to watch it, and even if it doesn't, um, the most likely other option, which I believe is the Teacher's Lounge from Germany, that's at least currently in theaters here in New York City. So I'm set there. Now, before we get into this episode, some quick housekeeping. First off, we have the results for, of the best of 2023 and most anticipated of 2024 survey that I put out last week. Thanks to everyone who submitted, we got 76 submissions, uh, over double from last year's 30. Um, I put all the results on a post on the Oscar, Reddit, Oscar Race subreddit as well as the Discord if you'd rather read them, but here we go. Uh, first up, films that are people explicitly, you know, I asked you what was your most... Uh, Top your top film of 2023. However, you decide, however you define that. Um, there were 26 films t- listed total among the 76 people. Uh, in first place, Oppenheimer with 16 films. Uh, number two, Past Lives seven mentions. Uh, Poor Things had six mentions, as did Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. At um, which notably, Spider-Man was the uh, I believe second most anticipated film of the year um, by most uh, most. Um, uh, from 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 last year, An Adam of the Fall has four, as does Barbie, um, which Barbie was the most anticipated film, uh, most explicitly uh, by people last year. Um, May December also has four. Uh, All of Us Strangers ended up at, at with three votes at number uh, tie, uh, for, uh, tied for number eight, as did Killers of the Flower Moon with three votes, um, which was all which was tied for sixth uh, for most anticipated for 2023. And rounding out the top ten is Holdovers with three, um, also. Uh, potentially uh, best picture nominees, um, potential not potential best picture contenders, Maestro and Zone of Interest each only got one mention, and American Fiction got no mentions. Um, at least though for Zone of Interest and American Fiction, I can chalk that up to maybe not being as widely available and just people haven't seen it yet. Um, also, I got us out of the two people who put Red, White, and Royal Blue as their top film of the year. You know what you like. Uh, moving on, we have the top films uh, based on total mentions, right? I asked for people's top film of the year as well as their top 10 films of the year. So if it's sort of on anyone's list, I counted it as one point regardless regardless of where they ranked it. Um, there were 129 unique films here. Um, I'm, I'm just going to list the top 13 here. Um, these are the films that had at least 15 mentions, so about 20% or so um, out of the 76 submissions. Um 
In first place, once again, Oppenheimer, which was uh, tied for third by this metric uh, with Dune last year um, for most anticipated. Uh, in second place, Kills the Flower Moon with 41 mentions. Um, this was tied for, this was sixth uh, in most anticipated last year. Uh, Holdovers had 39 in third place. Past Lives came in fourth place with 38. Uh, the Spider-Verse, which was the second most anticipated by this metric last year, came in with 37 in fifth place. May-December had 36 at sixth place. Barbie uh, was, you know, the, definitely the most anticipated I think two-thirds of the people who, who responded to my survey said it was within their top 10 list. It came in seventh with 33 votes. Um, and Adam of the Fall came in with 30 votes. Poor Things at 27 votes. Bottoms with 19 votes. And that, this is 10th place. Uh, the Boy and the Heron with 17 votes, which is the seventh most anticipated of the year, comes in number 11. John Wick 4 uh, at, has 16 votes. And then Saltburn came in with 15 votes. Um, uh, notable Best Picture contenders, uh, Zone of Interest, had only 11 votes. Um, and Maestro only four, and American Fiction only four. Again, Zone of Interest and American Fiction I can talk up to just not being widely available yet. Also, I got a shout out to people who, um, you know, their films maybe weren't the most mentioned, but um, they were the only ones to mention their films, but they put them as the number one films. Again, shout out to the two people who uh, put down Red, White, Royal, Blue. They were the only people to mention them, uh, and it was their top films. Um, and then uh, 1,001, and still, uh, each got one vote, um, and they were their respective people's number one films. All right, let's look at the top anticipated films for this coming year, 2024. First, we have the most explicitly called out anticipated films. There were 27 total. Uh, and first, we have uh, Dune 2 with 23 votes. Uh, that's, uh, again, this is out of 70, about 75 people or so, a little bit less. Um, in second, we had Mickey 17 with eight. Uh, Furiosa has five, uh, third place. Um, so, of course, big films. Notably, um, all Warner Brothers, actually. So it looks like they're going to have a good year. And fourth place, with four votes tied for fourth and fifth place, are Borderlands, um, the video game adaptation, and Nosferatu, the, Ro the Roger Ebert's film, uh, coming out at the, uh, at the end of the year. Uh, with three votes uh, for sixth place is Inside Out 2. Um, and then uh, tied for seventh through 11th place, it's with two votes. Um, our Ballerina, uh, the John Wick spinoff, um, uh, Deadpool 3, uh, Joker 2, uh, the Spider-Verse movie, though I don't know, the third one, though I don't believe that's actually going to come out this coming year, and then Wicked Part 1 coming out in uh, Thanksgiving. Um, four people only gave one film as their most, as their most anticipated for the year. Uh, three of them were for Dune, one of them was for Borderlands, so shout out to you, Guy. Um, finally, we have the most anticipated films based on how often, again, they showed up within this total top 10 list. Obviously, most of these, again, are the bigger films that have already been announced. Um, the smaller art house fair or international films are going to be harder to predict. Um, there's also the number of, um, there are also a number of films that, that were mentioned that have technically already come out in 2023, but haven't been released in all markets. So I imagine these are people, uh, from overseas, uh, or in other markets where these films haven't come out. In any case, 133 films total, just about the same number as, uh, top films of the year. Um, we have in first place, once again, Dune Part 2, 49 mentions. Um, Mickey 17 in second place uh, with 43 mentions. Um, third, we have uh, Nosferatu, 36 mentions. Fourth, we have Challengers with 28 mentions, which actually was not mentioned as anyone's most anticipated. So it's pretty interesting it actually comes in as the fourth most anticipated overall just by kind of being on everyone's radar. Fiosa comes in number 5, 24 mentions. Uh, Joker 2 has 23 mentions in 6th place. Uh, Civil War, the uh, uh, A24 film coming out, uh, is 19 mentions. Deadpool 3 is number six, uh, is number 8 with 16 mentions. And then rounding out uh, places 9 through 12 are all people with 15 mentions, uh, which is a film called Blitz, uh, Drive Away Dolls, Gladiator 2, and Inside Out 2. 
um, you know, these are, these are the films that have at least 20% of the people who responded saying they were uh, something that they were anticipating, looking forward to. So once again, thanks to everyone who submitted to the survey. Um, also, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say I also, you know, in this survey, asked people to give me the letterbox profiles to create a mini index of sorts of, you know, among Oscar enthusiasts to see, you know, what we as a community collectively rated certain films. Out of the 60 or so people who submitted, you know, I ended up whittling it down to 40. You know, if you didn't rate your films on letterbox, I can't really use that information. And then also, I decided to cut out people who saw less than five of the potential uh, 12 or so best picture films I have in consideration, plus Saltburn. Um, you know, I. I, I wanted to make sure so I had people who had seen a, a, a good a good number of things going in there. Um, from these 40 profiles or so, we have some interesting numbers. You know, out of the 13 or so films I asked people to look, to, I, I looked at, um, you know, about 10, about 10.12 uh, is the average number that people had seen. Overall ratings about 4.06. Uh, the most viewed films were, of course, Oppenheimer and Barbie uh, with max viewership, um, as well as May December. And then Past Lives had one person miss it, and Kills of the Flower Moon had two people missing that. Uh, on the flip side, Zone of Interest ha was the least viewed film. Only 13 people out of the 40 or so had seen it, followed closely by All of Us Strangers at 17 and American Fiction at 19. Again, making sense, those haven't really uh, released wide yet. Uh, notably, also Poor Things uh, had relatively low viewership. Only 26 out of 40 people have seen that yet. I believe it, I don't know if it came out in the, in the UK yet, which I think might be a part of that. Uh, looking at overall ratings, here how things overall. Uh, Oppenheimer in first place, 4.43. Second place, Poor Things, 4.35. Uh, third place, Anatomy of a Fall, 4.28. Fourth place, Zone of Interest, 4.23. Fifth place, Past Lives, 4.20. Uh, sixth place, All of Us Strangers, 4.18. Seventh place, Kills of a Flower Moon, 4.17. Um, eighth place, May December, 4.11. Ninth place, The Holdovers, which is also 4.11, but had a slightly higher standard deviation of scores, um, and then Barbie was a flat 4.0 in 10th place. Um, the other two contenders I had, American Fiction, came in at 3.71, only had 19 views, so that might be understandable. On the other hand, Maestro had 32 views, um, you know, about 75% of the people eligible to see it had seen it, and, you know, uh, only it's only as much, but it's only, uh, has about as much as the holdovers in the Navi Fall, but had the lowest score of these uh, 12 at 3.47. If you look at the breakdown of how many 5.0s versus 4.5s and so on, Oppenheimer had the most 5.0s, uh, 19, which is the most of any score-slash-film combination. Meanwhile, only one person had Maestro at the 5.0, and American Fiction had uh, its best score at 4.5, so not even any 5.0s. Anatomy of a Fall, which had the lowest standard deviation of any film I looked at, um, had the impressive feat of not having a single score less than 3.5, while at least 37% of users had Maestro at a 3.0 or worse. Um, I also looked at Saltborn just for fun. You know, it's a notoriously divisive film, and it kind of delivered, right? At a score of 3.46, it technically had the lowest score, but it had four scores as high as 5.0, but also four scores as low as 2.0, and even one at 1.0 had by far the highest standard deviation of all of these films, so definitely the gamut of opinions on that one. So I will say looking at these numbers, particularly how Maestro, you know, uh, ha was, you know, didn't really have that many people saying it, it was the best film of the year, um, you know, which you don't have the excuse of people just not having seen it, like American Fiction or Zone of Interest. Um, and also, you know, the fact that uh, it had kind of, you know, barely any 5.0s um, and had a relatively low overall average score among, you know, this Oscar community 
definitely influenced my views. Um, and uh, yeah, um, it, it kind of influenced my, my views so far. See, after talking with Whitney last episode about how films need people to rate them as the number one of the year, I was convinced. Let me put pa best past lives in best picture finally. Um, you know, yes, I'm a slowpoke. Again, I, I, I laid out all my logic there in the last episode. The question came down on what to take out. Most people would say take out May December, um, but given that it had its fair share of people who put it at number one and had a fair share of high ratings overall, and at the moment when we were when I was putting together the episode, I was you know it was really doing well among critics. You know Charles Melton, Julianne Moore was getting a lot of love, um, and I figured you know. Maybe it goes to May December, right? My asshole doesn't really have a lot of stuff going for it. Um, it didn't help that in red carpet rosters, you know, the the fantasy award that that John puts on every year, um, who who be on a guest on in a future episode. Um, you know, I had Maestro as my best picture as my picture contender, and it had you know two thirds a third less points um, than what May, uh, May December had. I had like twenty points for the entire season, while May December was at like thirty points or so, right? Um, so I'm like, okay, there's just not much love going around for Maestro. Overall, maybe might go to May December, right? They actually ended up trading my SO for May December. Alas, in this past week, Guild nominations have come out and uh, it's gotten seven of Guild so far, while May December, I think, has pretty much blanked on most of the industry awards. So it looks like I might, might come to regret that decision. I'm, I'm at the stage of grief where I'm kind of rationalizing, like, hey, if May December gets in, that's good for me. I loved, I liked the film, which as we'll talk about later this episode. Uh, if my Esther gets in, um, maybe I'll do better on the uh, on the um, on, in my prediction contest. Which, speaking of, um, if you have better interests than me when it comes to making predictions about nominations, I am pleased to announce uh, the actual nominations prediction, my annual nominations prediction contest. If you've done these before, you know the deal. If not, here are the basics. On January twenty third, when all 120 nominations are announced. Um, you get you you basically fill out this Google form and put down who you think will get nominated in each category. Um, you know, 120 total, so you have 120 points, one point per cat per nomination. Simple enough. Most points win. Uh, tiebreakers are done by whoever submits first. I want to reward people who call their shot early. Um, this year, due to my lack of employment, unfortunately, I'm not able to award any monetary prize and such. Um, I'm only able to offer bragging rights. But hey, we all know that that's the most important thing when it comes to this sort of thing. In any case, the link to this contest form will be in the show notes and also posted on the Oscar Race subreddit and AOD or Discord. It'll close whenever nominations are officially started to be announced on January 23rd, so good luck. Uh, moving to this episode, we actually have a new guest on for this Best Picture preview episode I haven't had on the show before. Uh, it's the winner, actually, of my winner prediction contest, which I do, you know, to see who, who can predict who will win the Oscars. Um, but it's Alicia, uh, who also happens to be, uh, you know, a fellow Death Racer and have a number of podcasts cast of her own. Uh, this episode, we talk about the holdovers, Maestro, and May December, which, again, the latter two I definitely have uh, a contentious relationship with at this point, um, though I, we recorded this episode before that all happened, so you won't really hear that in this conversation. I will say I did enjoy having Alicia on, and I hope you do too. I think she has some great insights, especially as a former contest winner. Um, so, you know, without further ado, here's my spoiler-filled conversation about these three films with Alicia. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, and joining me for this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast, Best Picture Previews, is actually a new guest uh, for the podcast. Um, she is actually the winner of last year's Oscars Winners Prediction Contest, which, mm-hmm. um, depending on when this episode goes up, uh, we may have just started the nominations prediction contest. So, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, if, if her advice will, will help you uh, do well in your mm-hmm. contest this time around. Um, she's currently based in Amsterdam. She's, you know, a co-host of the Lorehounds MC Universe podcast and the Wolves of Dust podcast. Um, and we actually happen to see her on the alma mater, um, Go Quakers. Um, it's Alicia uh, from Amsterdam. And Alicia, why don't you go ahead and in- introduce yourself to the, uh, the rest of the guests? Um, yeah, hi. Uh, yes, my name's Alicia. I grew up in Philly, indeed. So uh, I, I went to Penn and I live in Amsterdam now for the last 17 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> um and as far as where I first got into movies, um, I guess I was, I, I, I don't remember a time before I was into movies. I think my parents were into like, especially science fiction movies. And um, I was also exposed at a younger than usual age to horror. And I just always loved it. Like the, the escapism, the, I was also in a big gaming family, you know, so just the storytelling and. And yeah, that describes my movie taste too. Awesome. Uh, what would you say your favorite movie of all time is if you had to if you had to pick one or, oh, or a couple right. of, of, of favorite movies? Oh man. Um, well, I'm just gonna cheat and go with the ones that I put up on Letterboxd, which are somewhat arbitrary, but okay. Uh, I love classic films, so I had to throw up the Philadelphia Story, mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the greatest rom coms of all time. I love science fiction, so I think I have Fifth Element on there. Uh, I. Everything Everywhere All at Once is one of my favorite movies of my life. Um, and the fourth one I have up there is The Last Unicorn because I'm also an anime fan. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, no, I'm also a big anime fan as well. So, um, and, and you know, you, you mentioned Everything Everywhere All at Once is definitely one of my favorites on my Letterboxd top four as well. When did you get, get start getting into, you know, the more awardsy type films? You know, you, normally the films that you that you mentioned, like horror and, mm-hmm. and science fiction, don't necessarily get the typical um, Oscar love, you know. So when, when did yeah. you find yourself pulling into uh, the awards film? Uh, I mean, I used to always watch the Oscars with my family growing up. So I guess it kind of used to be, or maybe my parents' films' tastes have changed, but it feels like it used to be the same. The big box office ones were also the ones that were big at the Oscars. So I know they don't really follow the Oscars much, except uh, through, they know that I'm freakishly, uh, you know, passionate about it, but they don't follow it as much. But um, yeah, I just, I think... For me, it's it's an education, you know. It's uh, I I have to admit I don't watch documentaries most of the year, even though one of the biggest documentary festivals, ITFA, is in Amsterdam. Um, I watch them this time of year, and I learn so much not only through that, but just through all of the other, not even so much the big picture ten, but through the international films and the short films and all these little windows into the world. So that's why I love death racing so much. Yeah. When did you start? You know, obviously, you know, it sounds like you know you've been into you know the Oscars in general for a long time. When did you mm-hmm. consciously begin death racing? Like, I'm going to try to watch every single yeah. film. I mean, probably like probably like five years ago, just before the pandemic or something like that. I don't know. Um, I definitely last year was the first time I did the mega, and except for Miha, <laughs> and this year is the first time I didn't. I wasn't going to attempt the Mecca, but here we go. Like, I just find myself getting sucked in. 
Yeah, and for people who don't know, you know, the Meg and Mech are kind of like community-driven death faces that include like the BAFTA long list and like the Independent Spirit Awards and all of these other awards, which I don't have time to do. So props to you for, <laughs> for being one of those, those brave souls willing to do that. Yeah, we'll see how successful it is because I don't think I have time to do it either. But then I just, I'm like, well, but I have to watch that, but I have to watch that. And the next thing I know, I'm like, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. So you mentioned you're in Amsterdam, right? So, you know, obviously I'm here in New York and I kind of have a leg up because, you know, I'm in New York. I get, you know, a lot of the films do their one week release in New York. Like I was able to see Perfect Days because they happen to be playing at the Angelica Film Theater, right? Hmm. So, you know, how is it racing from Europe? I know we had to, you know, shuffle some of the films around that we were going to have you watch um, because, you know, they might not have released, you know, by a certain time uh, in, in Europe for you to see them in time. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the studio. Like, uh, we sometimes we have films, particularly European films, like right now, the, the Taste of Things, or as it's called here, Le Pot au Feu. Um, we have that, and the U.S. does not. We do have Perfect Days here. Uh, I keep putting it off, but I'm going to watch it before it leaves the theater. Um, I Because I'm in Amsterdam, I have an advantage that if the film is showing anywhere in the country, it's showing near me. So that's yeah, that's a plus. But there are some particular, like A twenty four, for some reason, is terrible at releasing films in Europe at the same time they do in the U.S. They wait for months, and then by the time they release it in the theater, it's already on streaming. Like, why? Yeah, so I feel it, it probably, really depends. Probably a case where A twenty four is like licensing it out to a local distributor, right? As opposed to yeah, but. Else. Like everything, everywhere, all at once was a huge hit in the U.S. Why couldn't they fast track that? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you've done it for about five years, which is, you know, about as long as I've done it. You know, obviously this race hasn't officially kicked off yet, but how are you feeling about this race compared to, you know, the past couple of years of races? Do you like the films more or do you think it'll be easier to complete? You know, how, how are you feeling about it? Well, I think especially with the success of, you know, some of them are more box office successes, I guess two in particular, obviously. Um that makes it hopefully it'll get the general public more engaged again uh if you can align more that there are good widely released films that people uh, you know actually see and I, I feel like that that's going in that direction more this year um there's a lot of there's a lot of very exciting films. Also, you know, streaming democratizes things. Uh, how many people have watched Saltburn in the last week? And that might not have been possible in previous years, um, films like that. So I think I'm excited about hearing more generally a wider audience more excited this year. That's what I'm awesome. feeling. What about you? And it, I, I, I am a, I'm of the same mind. I think, you know, obviously Barbenheimer makes it a lot easier for a lot of the films to, to be seen. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see. And then the TikTokification of, of some films, right? Definitely yeah. Uh -huh. um, I don't know how I feel about the overall quality of films. I think, like, you know, there are a couple of standouts for sure. I think... I would say maybe compared to a couple of years, like there are more films that I liked in previous years. Not to say that there aren't good okay. films this year, but mm -hmm. I, I I have stronger opinions about some of the some previous past years about the contenders. I think just off okay. the top of my head. Okay, okay. I, I there are some films that I really love this year. Um, yeah, and oh, I yeah, haven't even seen them aren't. all. Like I still haven't seen Poor Things. Arr. Oh yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, it's not opening here until February. Well, at least it's before March. So you know, yeah, at, at least, least it's before March. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I forgot to put this on my pre-show questions, but um, you know, I, I we I did mention you won, you know, the winner prediction contest that I, that I run every year. Um, you know, you you got the most correct predictions. Um, you know, if you had to attribute anything to to that, what, what would you attribute? You know, being a good guesser at, at what at, at what goes on in the Oscars, who's going to end up winning? 
Um, I think taking more less the bent of psychology. I mean, sorry, of statistics, where you know a lot of people like there. I heard heard a lot of people dismissing still as a nominee for documentary That's me. because That's me. <laughs> yeah, exactly because it doesn't you know it didn't do certain benchmark things, but I. I'm listening more to the inner psychologist who's just like, no, that's getting in. So we'll see. This can be a litmus test on how well I'm going to do this year. Does still get in or not? Yeah. I mean, it has everything going for it, I think, except that it wasn't at Doc NYC, which is like the big the big reason yeah. I haven't put yeah. it in. It, it doesn't it's have to be, though. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. There's always a rule breaker. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll hop into the episode. Like we mentioned, like, see, so the winner of the prediction contest has a lot, uh, and she does have a podcast, right? Um, so, you know, definitely someone I wanted to have on expand, like, the network of of podcasters who, who are doing the death race. So, you know, this episode, we're going to round out the films I think have some sort at best picture. Um, you know, these would be The Holdovers, which I actually just watched yesterday, uh, Maestro, okay. uh, and May December, both of which are available on Netflix. So, you know, luckily, those are available to you as opposed to, you know, waiting for the release schedule in Europe. Um, so we're going to kick off with, with the holdovers. Um, this one, you know, I, I would say it joins the canon of uh, Christmas comedy dramas. Um, sure. you know, it, ha- it follows a bad-tempered history teacher at a 1970s New England boarding school who is forced to chaperone the students who otherwise have nowhere else to go over the holidays. Um, holdovers premiered at the Telluride Film Festival before releasing uh, this October in the U.S. by Focus Features. It was named one of the top 10 films of the year by both the National Board of Review and the American Film Institute. Um, it was a runner-up for the Toronto International Film Festival's People's Choice Award. It has been nominated for three Golden Globes, which, as we're recording tonight, uh, recording will be on tonight, uh, four Independent Spirit Awards, eight Critics' Choice Movie Awards, and seven Satellite Awards. Uh, on Metacritic, it has an 82 uh, out of 56 reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, a 96 out of 285 reviews, an 8.5 score. And on Letterboxd, a 4.24 on 219,000 reviews. According to Gold Derby, right, again, not a, a sure thing, but, you know, most people are, are having around fifth or so for Best Picture. Um, and, you know, so, and, and then uh, for numbers, it's currently director just outside the top five, Alexander Payne, uh, you know, an Oscar favorite, is uh, at number six. Um, the actor, Paul Giamatti, who plays the, the professor, is a, a, a three, a third of the Best Actor. Uh, supporting actress Devine Joy Randolph is kind of the runaway uh, success of the pre-award season so far, kind of yeah. like Ki Hui Kwan um, has pretty much won every well, for this movie at least yeah. so um it'd be very I, at the very least i think we'll get away with one win um supporting actor dominic sessa out of the top five it's currently number seven um and then original screenplay david hemmingson um is currently the favorite to win this category um kevin tent uh, for editing is uh, currently number fifth in that category and then technically it's been nominated for score but that's all the way down at 14th in most people's predictions uh so i don't think it's gonna be good there but still worth mentioning um all right alicia what were your thoughts on uh on the holdovers just overall just to start um, so I gave this movie a 3.5 on Letterboxd, which, you know, I thought it was solid and I liked it, but it didn't bl- blow. Me. It's it's my second favorite out of these three, actually. Um, so, yeah, I I wasn't as in love with it as other people, but I think it is a good film and I think I will revisit it. But like not every year, just every once in a while. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. You know, most people have it around like a four or so. I mean, you had three and a half. I'm down at three, which I think is one of the lowest scores that I've seen from people on the server. I mean, 
it was cute. It was kind of a little mm-hmm. quaint, little twee almost. Um, yeah. But you know, it was very much a somewhat predictable, like yeah. like a, a, a feel good movie. Now I put a note in our notes, right? This kind of people were saying, hey, this could maybe win best picture, right? Like it might win original screenplay. It might mm-hmm. win a supporting. It's probably going to win supporting actress. Um, yeah. That was what Coda did for for. Um, for when it won, and it's another, you know, feel good, you know, kind of like family is uh, feel good kind of comedy, kind of drama that you know, as opposed to the heavy dramas that we're getting from like say Oppenheimer or so on. So, you know, what do you feel about that? What people are saying about op- uh, holdovers and and having that alternate route to win? Um, I don't think that it's had the same viral traction that coda did like even my mom came back to me with like, oh, have you seen this movie coda? I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, watch it. Um. I think if if it's going to go for feel good vibes, I think that there are stronger contenders in there. I think I, my favorite to win at this point is Barbie. To be honest, it's okay. not even Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah, I would I would definitely put Barbie above this one. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that that makes sense, right? Barbie is a bit more feel good in this, so maybe take some of the wind out of the the sails there. Um, no, let, let's talk about Devine Joy Randolph. Obviously, she's kind yeah. of like the, the main attraction. You know, probably going to win. What did you think of her character overall? I mean, I think that um, she could have had more screen time. She made a lot of the screen time that she had. Um, and But it's a s- sort of situation where I'm. this makes me more curious to see her more in other things. Um, I can see yeah. why people just keep thinking she's the best part of this movie. So I see why she's a favorite to win. Which, you know, maybe is that like a good qualification for how the rest of the movie is? I mean, she was yeah. good. Don't get me wrong, right? But exactly. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um. The other the other thing is currently the favorite for is original screenplay, which frankly I don't really get. Right. I I'm not sure I buy that either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a comfortable film, right? But personally, I would have past lives. Uh, yeah. No. If it's not past lives, I'm I'm you know. Why well, I don't want to threaten violence, but in my head I will be committing violence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it again. It's a cute film, you know, but it was highly predictable. Like my wife, I was watching with with last night, and she's like, "Oh, they're going to have like you know, they're going to get closer together, and then there's going to be a conflict at the end, and then she, he's going to redeem himself, and so some yeah. sort of growth." Which, I mean, the most interesting interesting thing about this screenplay, I think, which you know, us both going to an Ivy League institution for college, mm-hmm. there's something to say here about legacy students and yeah. Privilege. Oh, we know that world. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, there was. A, I had a whole conversation with my uh, with my dad at dinner. You know, um, after watching it, where um, you know, I kind of explained. Yeah, like legacy kids kind of can get away with with a lot of stuff, like not going to class. Where like right. other kids, like that's a completely different ball game there. So yeah. Um, I mean, that was a whole interesting thing. I don't think it does anything to say. Oh, there is privilege and and in the world, you know, the rich. Get to not go to war. The poor have to, you know, suffer and so on. But I mean, okay, that's there. It doesn't really do anything interesting with that concept. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was just a little not disorganized, but just rambling, which is not a bad thing. And I understand there's charm to a sort of more rambling structure, but it wasn't past lives. It speaks to truths. Mm within truths that are layered like little onion flowers inside my heart like i can't speak about the movie without trying to write poetry because that it just uh, it speaks on such a fundamental level to everyone even people who aren't living between cultures um and i just don't think that this film achieves that it doesn't 
or it even, doesn't hit someone in the heart in the same yeah, way. Or even comparing it to Coda, right? Again, another mm-hmm. feel, very feel-good family-type film. But that had that's one adapted screenplay, I believe. But that one had, you know, a good, you know, screenplay about, you know, feeling let go, feeling separated from right. your family, wanting to, like, grandson and do your own thing and willing to let your kids go, right? Like, that's a whole, you know, narrative and, and themes and structure in there. I think that was really well done, which, you know, again, I think this one's maybe, I don't know, maybe people are going for it to honor, like, you know, oh, it's emulating the style of, like, the film from this particular decade. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or not, which is okay, cute, but but, yeah. but again, um, let's see. What I, do you just, think I kept, yeah. I just kept thinking like I've I've seen this film before, and it's yeah. not a bad thing, but you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you feel about the uh, about uh, Paul Giamatti for for best actor? Currently number three, um, yeah. I believe on on Gold Derby, he's behind Killian Murphy, and I want to say Bradley Cooper. Um, okay. Uh, in, in number two. I mean, yeah, I I think I heard somebody say somewhere that. Paul Giamatti has struggles to get recognized for his acting because people just see it as a Paul Giamatti character. And I think that might be an effect here as well. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, that's a whole conversation with the the the, the Kills the Flower Moon uh, is is, mm-hmm. a, is another episode. But you know, there's a whole thing like, is Leo going to get in? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe he just gets swept up in Kills the Flower Moon. But I've ha- actually Paul Giamatti has won a lot of precursors, but Leo hasn't mm-hmm. won anything lately. So you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, for killers, well, you know who I think is going to win. I think it's going to get actress, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right then. So, any any other thoughts on the whole movie? I mean, it, it kind of. I think our reviews are just kind of like it was fine. You know, it's a yeah. good movie. Do you think? Do you think it deserves to be in Best Picture as 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 one of the ten? Maybe. Um, I can see why it is, but I have to say, every year the ten that make it in aren't necessarily the ones that I would pick because this is half politics, half. You know, quality check. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And fair so, enough. I, I, yeah, I didn't it have it the for a while, but then mm-hmm. I, I mean, it just won. It just started getting so much buzz, like the NBRA. If I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's getting recognized at some point. Yeah, uh, I would love past lives to make it over this, over than this. I currently don't. I, I don't know. I was off the past life train. I just recorded an episode with Whitney. Um, uh-huh. There were like various statistical reasons why I said past lives maybe might not make it, but I really would like this to not take it and past lives to make it instead. So yeah, no, I'm I'm full on rooting for past lives. It's one of my favorite films in not only of the year but in a long time too. Long time. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, in that case, let's move on to to the next film uh, in our discussion. Uh, we have Maestro. So you know, this one is a follow up follow up to A Star Is Born, and Bradley Cooper, Philly native, uh, once again produces, directs, acts in his musical biopic of the of the life of Leonard Bernstein, as well as his wife uh, Felicia Montalagre. Um, it premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, and then went after a brief limited theatrical release, released on Netflix December 20th. Uh, it was also named to both the NBR and AFI's Top 10 Films of the Year, has been nominated for four Golden Globes, eight Critics' Choice Movie Awards, and eight Satellite Awards. Metacritic has it at 77 on 61 reviews. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has 79 on 301 reviews of 7.5 score. And Letterboxd had it at 3.34 on 126,000 reviews. According to Gold Derby, it is currently number six for picture, number eight for director Bradley Cooper, um, who is also currently number two for actor, as I mentioned. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, who plays his, uh, Leonard Bernstein's wife, uh, is at number three at, for actress. Um, it's The original screenplay by Cooper and Josh Singer is at number five. Um, Matthew Libatique, um, you know, famed cinematographer, is currently fourth for cinematography. Uh, Michelle Tesoro, uh, who I believe did the editing for um, the Queen's Gambit, I think. Uh, this is her feature debut, I believe. Uh, it's number six for editing. It's currently number one for makeup and hairstyling. And there was a whole conversation about the prosthetic mm. nose, 
Force, um, um, which I don't think we're going to try to get into here. And it's also currently number two for sound. Um, all right. So what did you think of? I know we had some some thoughts in, in, our, right. in our chat before. <laughs> um, how did you feel about Mastro? Um, I mean, this was definitely my third out of the three here. Um, it was, I, I told you, I was like trepidatious about watching it for some reason. I don't know why. I just, from watching the trailers and stuff, I was like, I just don't know if I'm going to like this. And so I ended up liking it better than I feared. Mm -hmm. But I always think of this quote that I once read that uh, Catherine Hepburn said about Meryl Streep, where she said, I just see the gears turning. And for some reason, that quote lives rent free in my head. And that's how I felt about this film. I just saw the gears turning. Like there's great art there, great acting there. Um, I can see why Bradley Cooper would be nominated because he, he embodies the person. I had someone telling me on Twitter, like he can't stop embodying the person. Like he's getting the critique that Austin Butler was getting last season with Elvis. Um, but. I, and Carrie Mulligan's great. I love Carrie Mulligan, but it was just something that just left me cold. It didn't, I, it would have been better. I, I said to you, it would have been better as a 40 minute short and I stand by it. That makes sense. I think I actually had this pretty low. I gave this a two out of five actually. Okay. But I think it's maybe a little bit harsh uh, in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I think on a technical level, it's very impressive, right? Um, mm -hmm. on, honestly, I really like, especially in the first half when it was still black and white. I love Natalie Batik's cinematography, um, the editing that Misalto saw, like some transitions between between segments, like there's this whole musical number that goes on in there. Um, which, fun fact, Matthew yeah. and Michelle are both Filipino. Um, so okay. shout out to my fellow Filipinos. But um, in any case, I mean... I love I, the musical number, by the way. More of that, please. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the first half was really good stylistically. Yeah. And then when it gets yeah. to the second half, and like, so the, the whole premise, I think, is like, you know, from, for me, they, they try to paint... Bernstein as like this artist who he he's a great brilliant artist right but then he you know his marriage has these problems because he has like these open affairs like and then his wife kind of knows and can't love him but then I don't know, it felt very like fast forwarded through the different parts of his life without yeah that much connective exactly between them right yeah same problem with Napoleon by the way but yeah no that's what I felt too that it was fast forwarding too much and also like Felicia, I don't know what her life was like other than she was mad at her husband all the time. Like that's the impression I got. Yeah. But I, I feel like I got some insight into him. So there was value in that. It just got a bit repetitive with their arguments yeah. and people keep talking yeah. about the the Snoopy balloon um, sequence. Oh, I wasn't Snoopy, as charmed by Snoopy it as, as the, others. Uh, as the jump scare of the year. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually burst out laughing at that moment, which, you know, I listened to the Directors Guild of America's podcast uh, where they interviewed him and he's like, oh, that's meant to break the tension, right? Which, right. okay, sure, right. makes sense, but mm -hmm. still. Um, I mean, yeah, the screenplay is, uh, I think, I honestly think this might miss for screenplay. Oh, I don't know. I, I what With Barbie moving out of original screenplay, this might make it back in. You know, I had it out mm -hmm. for a while, but um, this, mm -hmm. this might make it back in. I don't know. I Maybe Air I, could maybe sneak in. I don't know. Yeah, I think Air is actually more likely because I'm hearing more love for that film than than this one. Yeah. Especially uh, in terms of screenplay because it's what people like about it are all visual and technical aspects and the acting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so let's go to the acting, right? Cooper, I mean, so th there is that, 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 the one line that really sticks out to me is like the whole, oh, like when you're a, like, what's the difference between making art as a composer internally versus a conductor on stage? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the whole, you know, oh, I'm putting on a show, I'm performing, right? It's like a, you know, the difference between being, like, doing an interview, I'm performing for you guys, right? Like, that was right. like an, an interesting thing on like the, in, the, the interior life versus the exterior life. I don't 
know how much it, I felt like they did with the whole skin on that. Um, as far as you know, I, I I'm not someone who grew up watching Leonard Bernstein, who and who who who's seen a lot of interviews with him, so I can't really say how well he replicated uh, the Bernstein speech, so to speak, right. um, her speaking pattern. Apparently, he seems well, though. I don't know, like. It would have been more interesting, I think, the the point of like the internal and the external, where he, if he had maybe dropped like the the way that like he has this the showy like drawing performance that he does during interviews. What if he had dropped that during the the talk with his children, right, when he was in like at home at home and not being asked performative? That might have been an even a bigger impact, I think. Perhaps that's just right. my that's just my thought potentially. Um, I mean, the scene where he's conducting Brahms in the chapel. I mean, that uh, I think that's great. I think it's also half Matthew Lee Boutique and his cinematography that makes that mm-hmm. great as well in the sound right. design. Uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, your thoughts on, on Cooper? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think the cinematography is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie. Um, I, Cooper, I think this is where the gears turning thing comes in. I do think that he was, he was transformative, but it's not in a way where so yeah you're you're a Philly boy. Um, Rustin grew up in my hometown, so I okay. had to immediately go watch that movie, even though obviously they just skip over the whole Pennsylvania part. Um, but I had a good idea of what he would look and sound like, and you know when I see it's Coleman Domingo, I'm like, um, okay, that's not exactly who I picture with Rustin's like high pitched voice, but he he sort of dissolves into the character. So you don't see Coleman Domingo, you see Bayard Rustin. And I don't think that that is what happened here. I see Bradley Cooper doing a lot and doing it well, but it's still Bradley Cooper in a fake nose to me personally. <laughs> yeah. And- it's very, it, 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 I, maybe this might be like a meta thing, right? Like not necessarily his performance, but people always say like Bradley Cooper is trying so hard. He's trying yeah. to not act like he's trying so hard for an Oscar. Yeah, that's, he's trying yeah, exactly. so hard for the Oscar. Yeah. And I, I want to, I like him. Like I have don't dislike him. I have warm feelings toward this entity as a person, the person I don't know, yeah. you know, um, wish him all the best, but I don't think that he's the most deserving this year personally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think, okay, let's move on to the other actor actor here, you know, Carrie Mulligan, who, you know, amazing here. I think she's actually, honestly, aside from the cinematography, maybe the best part of the film, potentially. Right. Um, like, see, see, well, you were talking about how, how does she dissolve into the character? I completely mm-hmm. forgot it was Carrie Mulligan half the time. Right. Right. Like, that's a good, like, where, where it's not a Zoe performance, it's a lived in performance. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because she was playing very much, um, very much a background character. I don't think that she, it's ostensibly a film about the two of them, but tell me one thing about her life other than she was an actress and she was married to this man. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah. So I think she's hampered by the role in that, in that it it doesn't allow her to shine as much, but but she sparkles in every shot she's in. Yeah, to the point where they first bill her, right, and and, in Mm -hmm. the film, and she's she's competing in actress as opposed to supporting actress. I know, I know. I know. I don't. I think that that might hurt her, but yeah, hurt. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, she's she's amazing. I, I, anything with Carrie Mulligan acting in, I right. think, will be, I agree. Will be great. Yeah. No, I love her. Um, I think she'll get a nomination regardless. I think. I think it's mm-hmm. that that's well done. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think as far as the screenplay, I think honestly, this is probably just a subject matter choice more than anything else. I think Leonard Bernstein just doesn't make for as, or at least the way they chose to depict it, makes for as interesting a character to depict. Like. For all the flaws we have, all the criticism pointed at the Elvis film from Baz Luhrmann last year, Elvis mm-hmm. is an interesting character 
and with a story to actually yeah. tell about fame. I liked the Elvis film. Them. Well, yeah, no, I I liked it too, right? Some the general consensus is that the that that you know maybe overlawed a little, little too maximalist, or whatever, whatever. It's it still had an interesting story <laughs> yeah. to it, right? Yeah. Um, versus here, it's like, well, the most is that oh, he and Felisa kind of had these like you know, had these marriage problems, but then who doesn't <laughs> every yeah. now and then, right? And how does that actually impact his work? Which, by the way, one thing I did like about the film is the use of Bernstein's score throughout, right? Like, right. Segments were like, oh wait, I recognize that that's from West Side Story, right? And mm-hmm. but it's completely not something not related to the West Side Story, but it fits the feet, the 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 the, um, the scene that was really good. Yeah, and I liked. I always watch with um with you know the audio uh, closed captioning, mm-hmm. and they would put up song titles. So sometimes it would be an intimate scene with Felicia, and it would say the song's titled for Felicia. So oh, okay, that's um, cute. Yeah. they obviously they handled the music very well um i think wait which category are we discussing now screenplay or i mean screenplay was was where where that was at but like no i think the character Um, the the choice of of character to portray was just holding this film back i think yeah well i think okay so i think that he is an interesting person i think that it's more the way that it was handled this fast forward pace i think that they ended up skipping over what I think would have been the more interesting conversations, like when they first openly confront, when she first openly confronts him about his affairs and they Mm. come to this agreement, like there's just a throwaway line about his, you know, his lover for years dying. And I would have, this is a moment that would have humanized him more rather than just, Oh, there he is hooking up with someone else again. And she's patient, but mad. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me almost because so, uh, the Bernstein children were very involved in this film. Right? They gave approval, obviously, for his music and all that mm-hmm. um, and consulted. You know, they, they approved the nose and, and, and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe the fact that they were involved maybe holds them back from really diving deep into like this. this maybe. Stuff. Sim- similar to the way that, you know, with the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, like Queens didn't want to, you know, the, the remaining members of Queen didn't want like a whole tell-all of Freddie Mercury. They wanted only like the signing glamoury parts, right? Which, right. you know, here they they did let some through, but not everything through, right? Like they didn't mention, I believe, you know, looking into the film, they didn't mention that, you know, by the time Felicia died, he had taken like another lover and live, or lived with this other person across yeah, the no, country. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. And, um, I I guess that that is that is what it feels like that it's not it's trying to be too shiny it's trying to be too perfect and it's actually what mm-hmm. makes a really good awards fair film for me is yeah. when it's it shows a bit of that messy rawness of real life. Yeah. Did, did you have by any chance have you had a chance to see Priscilla yet? I uh, no, I haven't watched it yet. No. Okay. Okay. I would say that's a good one. I mean, especially since you said you like liked Elvis. I think that's mm-hmm. one. Obviously, it's based on on Priscilla Presley's. point of view right but the fact that that doesn't have the approval of the elvis uh foundation basically or or the institution but it has her approval it has her approval but you know they can't play the elvis music but so the Mm. music that they use instead kind of adds a a certain overtone to it and it portrays you know without all the glitz and glamour right right that goes into it so um that may be an interesting you know comparison to this um but yeah i mean maestro not my favorite i think it's gonna get in off of you know, I mean, for a long time, it was kind of Netflix's first priority coming out of Venice, right? Um, right. Ha- had the slightly better reviews and, and, and just all the press about Bradley Cooper. I think those people like Bradley Cooper, which again, we do too. My, I watched this with my cousin before he flew off for, for the Christmas holidays back to Asia. And he was like, oh, Bradley Cooper? I have to watch this thing with Bradley Cooper. And then he was kind of disappointed a little bit by it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I mean, what even when it was at the film festivals, what I was hearing the reports from it where people were like, oh, yeah, no, that was good. But it was but they're like, but let me tell you about poor things. But let me tell you about American yeah. fiction. You know, they were more excited about other films. Yeah. Well, unless there's anything else you have to say about mess. So let's move to the last film that we're going to be discussing uh, this this episode. And anything else? Uh, no, just uh, right. we're ending on a high note. <laughs> yeah, ending on a high note. I mean, this one, again, another Netflix film, but as opposed to my essay, which maybe once it's been seen more is, is trending down in most people's opinion. This one. You think? Okay. I think I think so. It's oh, Maestro. Down. Yeah, sorry. And this one is trending yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. This one's okay. going the opposite way. It's trending mm-hmm. up, up, up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this one uh, is May December. It's loosely based on the real life events of the Mary Kay Letourneau scandal. Um, it, it it's a Todd Haynes drama that follows an actress who travels to Savannah, Georgia, to meet with and study the life of a controversial woman. Uh, she's set to depict in an upcoming film. Said woman is controversial for her 23 year long relationship with her husband that started when he was only 13 years old. Uh, May December. Prom- at the Cannes Film Festival before being picked up by Netflix for release date in early December this year. It was named one of the American Film Institute's top 10 films of the year has been nominated for four Golden Globes, three Critics' Choice Movie Awards, five Independent Spirit Awards, and five Satellite Awards. On Metacritic, it has an 86 on 53 reviews. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 90 on 274 reviews, a 7.9 score. And Letterboxd has it at 3.81 on 255,000 reviews. According to Gold Derby, it's outside of the top 10. It's currently number 13. My rationale for having it in here and, and having had it for a long time one i heard a lot of buzz coming out of can that you know the screenplay is really good uh, portman and, and and julian moore are really good and also the the clincher for me is that it actually had the december 1st release date um mm-hmm. with, if you look historically for netflix december 1st or that early weekend in december power of the dog mank Merit mm-hmm. story. This is the this is the weekend they would surf with what film that they want to really push for the Oscar. So um, right. this kind of gave me confidence to keep it in in this slot in in the best picture conversation. Um, Natalie Portman, currently number ninth uh, for actress, is a very strong year for actresses. Um, mm-hmm. She plays the 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 report the the actress who's who's observing um, the supporting actress Julianne Moore. You know the controversial woman. She's currently number four uh, for supporting actress. And probably like the the quote unquote revelation is the word that's been thrown around from the film. Right. Charles Melton coming out of uh, uh, Riverdale um, is currently number five for supporting actor. Um, he plays the uh, the husband here. Um, it's also currently number four for original screenplay, which is actually Sammy Birch's first debut uh, screenplay. Um, fun fact: Sammy Birch is actually the screenwriter of that uh, maligned uh, Coyote versus Acme film that that uh, Warner Brothers is trying to offload. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so right now, if all holds, it's well, supposed we'll get... to be good. I'll watch it. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll definitely look for that. But if all hold, if all holds well, May December we'll get three above the line nominations here and mm-hmm. you know could sneak into best picture if, if all goes well for it so you know. uh, i i like its odds and bets best picture personally and um i would put it above um the holdovers for best screenplay as well but awesome yeah so not so, as high know. as <laughs> not as high as past lives but what right. what what is as high as past lives um, so what were your what were you, you you said this was your favorite of these three you know mm-hmm. i had a i give it a film? I gave it a four and a half on uh, Letterboxd. And <clears throat> yeah, I would say it's one of my favorite films of the season just because I really am drawn into, and you can tell by my love of past lives, I love nuanced character explorations. And this takes all three of these characters are so interesting. Like, um, yeah, Charles Melton's being called the revelation because he does the most restrained, but. Uh, real but yeah not just realistic but honest portrayal 
of this introverted character, which is a much more difficult role to play, I think, than an extroverted character in a lot of cases. I mean, at the end um, of the day, right, he's a character who's experienced some sort of trauma when he was 13 years mm-hmm. old. And they say, right, when you experience trauma, that's kind of like the age that you that you stay at. And if you look for it, he basically plays like a 13-year-old in a, yep. old, in a grown man's body. Yeah. Oh, that scene when he has the joint with his son and, oh you know, God. it's like his son, he's still the dad, but the son becomes a dad also for a moment. But it's also, is- it's that typical dynamic, like, oh, dad, you're so dorky, but also, oh, dad, you never lived. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I mean, this is, I jokingly put in the spoiler channel on the Discord that, hey, this is a film about what happens when you have your first joint at, at 36 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely true. <laughs> um, but I, I think, and then the other two, this is a movie that's driven by its writing, its performances, and yeah, also its camera work. Um, but I think the two performances are both of those characters. You know, you think, at the beginning, you think uh, Julianne Moore's character is the worst one of the two. But then Natalie Portman's character, you learn more, as you learn more about her, the more terrible person she begins to look. And you realize it doesn't tell you what to think about any of them Mm. it doesn't seem to make its own judgments it's just like this is the complexity of this tapestry of relationships make your own decisions and i love that about this film yeah i will say so i did give it a four out of five it's not my kind of film right okay um I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One, you know, um, so I actually, my wife is, is a little bit older than I am, right? Not as not as significant of an age gap as, as in this film, obviously. And definitely- You weren't 13. Um, was not 13. Definitely was of, of legal age when this all began, right. when my relationship began. So a little bit different, but still, you know, there is that that kind of like trepidation about watching a film about like mm-hmm. an age gap when you are in, in that kind of relationship. Um, and then, you know, there's just been this whole conversation on Twitter about melodrama or or, or campy film or whatever. Um, to I me, it's played- camp. I, I, I'm not sure. I will say it definitely does play out. So my wife is super into K-dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain beat of of K-drama that plays kind of like a soap opera. And there are okay. definitely elements of this feeling like, on the surface level like a soap opera. Okay. Mostly like with the score, like the big dramatic, mm-hmm. da 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 we need more hot dogs or whatever, right? <laughs> um, but you know, there was there were all of these like elements yeah. to it, and it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like kind of like lurid and kind of like leering and and mm. almost paparazzi esque, right? And there's such a right. melodrama going on, right? Um, or right. whatever I, you want to like call it. I like paparazzi esque. I think because I think that's sort of part of the because that's what it is. Like Natalie Portman is representing the paparazzi, the view, the judgment from the yeah. outside who's trying. Yeah, to, that like, is part of the screenplay. So. Make, you know, it's not my kind of film where, like, I, mm-hmm. I kind of get bored by, like, kind of these, like, you know, melodrama. Like, oh, there's such a sudden reveal, a sudden twist or whatever that, that comes throughout that comes throughout the film. Or, oh, my God, these people, they slept together out of nowhere, seemingly nowhere or whatever, right? Um, or or and, and it's like, okay, sure, like, on the surface level, that's not my kind of film. I will say, as it went on and thinking about it more, I definitely appreciate that there is kind of, like, a commentary on you know, kind of like the predation of these two women on Charles Melton's character, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of in general, what Natalie Portman represents of just, you know, controversy, scandal in general. And then his his portrayal of somebody who has never had the chance to live, but then, mm-hmm. you know, is, is trying to wrestle with that and never having confronted it. So there's a lot there, which I think is good. Not necessarily my kind of film, but I can recognize that it's very well done, very well crafted and acted. I'm willing to give it a four stars, um, even if it's not my kind of film specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I often, I gravitate, I said my favorite film of the year is Barbie. <laughs> um, 
But I guess, yeah, there's two sides of me. I love Barbie because it's big and colorful and has, you know, those emotional punches. Um, so I guess I like a film with emotional punches. And this one does it very well in a way that yeah. feels, you know, because it's also, you talked about it being about, was her name Mary Kayleigh Turner or whatever. Um, but it's also, it's crazy how many stories exactly like this there are. Like it was, someone just reminded me that this is also the story of Macron, the president in France. Um, yeah. It, it's more universal than you might expect but i yeah i agree that they i I liked the score for this actually um i think the score should get more recognition yeah i i I think unfortunately like that that specific like that riff um Mm -hmm. i was talking to whitney is not an original piece of music which is why it wasn't right okay so that's probably why i didn't get it didn't get recognized um but yeah i mean Again, I'm really good. So let's talk about Charles Melton specifically, right? We, we've t- kind right. of touched on him specifically. Um, what about his performance? Just, just uh, we mentioned, you know, he he portrays this character who's lived through trauma, acts like he's 13, like never really grown up beyond that. What, what, what's one scene that really captured it for you? That 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 this is his Oscar moment. Um, I think it's the moment when after he's slept with. Um... Nellie Portman's character and he's gone back to confront his wife and he's just sitting there in the bedroom and this is the first time where he starts to like it's like you know his brain's ticking a little more slowly um and it's clicked like I I feel like maybe I've been done wrong and I should be able to talk about it and you just see him having this realization in real time, growing up in that moment in real time and standing up for himself. And it's just such a, a subtle shift to capture in a character like that, who's been repressed for so long. Mm. Um, like you just see also him with his dad, you know, when they're just sitting there smoking and you can see he wants to say something, but he knows that he just shouldn't. And to be able to embody that energy without, doing anything specific uh is i think what really is making people pay attention to him now because yeah. he was def- riverdale hunk number three <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> definitely an ethnic element here as well right the fact that he is you know half korean and his dad is mm-hmm. is, is korean right and mm-hmm. and you know these two white women coming in and 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 uh and kind of preying on him in that degree right is is, is another interesting element wrinkle to the screenplay um for me his his oscar moment was when he was watching his kids graduate and he's kind of on the outside and he has this look on his face where he's kind of crying, kind of laughing, where he's he's happy for his kids, happy seeing them grow up, but then also kind of sad that he didn't have that life, right? Like right. we don't, it doesn't, it's not said like did he get to graduate high school, um, or or did he get to have like obviously he didn't get to have a youth and get high, right, when mm-hmm. he was younger, mm-hmm. but um, you know, kind of like did did he have this? What 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 happened to him? And he's he's realizing this as or not realizing it, but he's kind of processing it as he's seeing his kids graduate. Um, also, shout out to uh, the the character, the actress who plays the, I forget I don't know the name, but who plays their daughter um, who oh, comes yeah. back from college, mm-hmm. um, and just the way that she like kind of calls out her mom's bullshit, um, yeah. is is super cool actually to see. Um, kind of like breaking that generational trauma, like the way she just dresses differently or has her hair differently than 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 the twins do. Um, it's yeah. just like such a such an empow- the- empowering moment, I think almost. The twins are also quietly defiant too, you know, like you have the son just leaving dinner the first time um, she shows up and then you have the daughter who after that horribly awkward Q&A session just gets out of the car just like, no. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, there was a like again. This is a film like some films I watch and I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is good or not, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it a lot, and that's probably right. a sign it's good. This is one of those films I think for me. Okay, okay, yeah, I think I got um, just very caught up in. I I just I find realistic characters fascinating because I find people yeah. fascinating, and these were just incredibly detailed, well fleshed out, um, unique, you know, because they weren't an archetype. Yeah. They weren't a stereotype. They were yeah. fully realized individuals with complexities and contradictions. Which I loved I think, all the contradictions. I think that that t- points to, right? I think obviously of the three films we've discussed today, this is the one with the most fleshed out characters. The holdovers to some degree, right? The Vean George yeah, Randall's yeah. character, obviously the most. Paul Giamatti's character to some degree, Dominic Sessa's character to some degree has some degree of wants, desires, things fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Maestro is just kind of like a, 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 again, we say the fast forward and Cliff Notes right. version of, of Leonard Bernstein um, with a little bit of the gritty stuff thrown in there aside from the performance stuff. Yeah, I agree with that yeah. assessment. Yeah. Um, anything else about May, December? I mean, you know, you, this is your favorite film. You just go off, you know, tell, tell us yeah. more about <laughs> it's this It's my favorite of the three, but... Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites of of the um, season. I would say don't count it out for Best Picture because I think exactly what you said at the beginning, that it's trending upward. And also its availability on Netflix can't be, you know, underplayed. And just the buzz. And also just the story around Charles Melton. People like the redemption arc story. like and, And this is... One of the stories this I mean, season guess, that people I can get even call excited it a, about. I wouldn't a, even call a it breakout. a redemption. Yeah, breakout yeah, no, story for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, don't sorry, think... River, Riverdale got really bad. It's not his fault, but it happened. <laughs> no, no, there's this one YouTuber I know who like just goes on this deep dive, a super iPads wolf, goes shout out to him. There's a super deep dive on just how crazy Riverdale gets. Yeah. And from the outside, it just looks like a fun train wreck to watch. Um, but <laughs> I gave up on it after the uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was I, I am a role player myself, and they basically went full on satanic panic, um, ah. but make it real. That was okay. a whole season. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say I don't think any of these wins, any of those categories. I mean, Natalie Portman, I don't think it's nominated. There's too much good competition in actress. Um, I don't know. Do you think Steve, she's one of it? my she's one of my favorite. I, I don't I'm not hearing the buzz for her um, indeed, but she's one of my favorite performances I've seen so far. So in I'm your personal top five, she would be a best actress. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Julianne Moore, right? She still still mm-hmm. got it. I think she'll probably. I think she definitely like. Okay, back to Julianne Moore's character. The fact that she can like just throw this baby tantrum just because somebody yeah. like cancels the the cake order, right? Like right. you thought it was like something much more serious. Like she canceled the cake order. I spent but all also- this time on it, and it looked like some dry ass yeah. nasty cake it's like girl but the way he responds to it so patiently too and you yeah. just realize like how is it every day every day does this happen yeah yeah which yeah back back again to credit to him i, I think all three of them were masterful yeah. um but I agree that she's yeah Julia Moore is the second most likely to get enough. yeah so I think I think Charles Melton gets in and honestly yeah. he's not going to win the nomination the win the category I think I think there's like probably too much not strong but I'll be rooting there. for him but honestly the nomination I think is a win for him at this point mm-hmm. right kind of like mm-hmm. Paul Mescal right Paul Mescal right. didn't win the Oscar last year but he's showing he's showing up in Gladiator too in a couple yeah. in, in, in next this this year right so you know Charles Melton I look forward to seeing you in some major some major film in the future. Um, this yeah. is definitely going to help his career for sure. 
Yeah, well, he's shown that he has an enormous range now, so I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, more API representation on the big screen. Love it. Love yeah. to see it. Um, all right, final thoughts for. So you know, you mentioned you have your. I'm curious, actually, since you're the uh, the the one who won last year's contest, what's your current um, nomination top ten prediction for best picture? Oh, you want me to give? I don't know if I can do all ten. Um, I mean. I, I yeah, obviously Barbenheimer's in, uh Killers of the Flower Moon's in, um I'm I'm I feel like May December is Poor Things, American Fiction. How many have I said now? Uh, the, six. The you have four more. Um Holdovers you haven't mentioned yet. Okay, holdovers. Uh what else? I think there's a good chance for air, actually, because it's one of those okay. ones that keeps popping back up. You know, mm-hmm. and people count it out, but then people ev- keep bringing right. up like, well, well, what about air? So if there's enough people that are thinking about it on that level, okay, it might you haven't mentioned it. past lives yet. You haven't mentioned right. Mentioned Sorry, past yet. lives. Right. So, you haven't mentioned anatomy yet. Um. Uh, uh. Yeah, I haven't watched Anatomy of a Fall yet, so okay, I need to enough. watch I that. Well. I but I, I do think it'll be it. in the top ten. I just honestly. I'm bad at naming things off the top of my head. That's fair. <laughs> I, I I didn't ask you to prepare this ahead of time, so that, that that's on me, not on you. Um, yeah, I mean, those are basically all of the ones you know that that I would have in there. Um, past lives again, I'm on the fence about just because of you know precursors and so on. In. But I, I'm le- I'm leaning toward putting it in. I just don't know what to take out, like zone of interest. I don't know. Um, mm. You know, I'd love all of us strangers to make it in, but I I, I don't think it's I make doubt it, in. it. But I haven't been able to see that one yet either. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Any hot takes? Any you know? Any surprises? You know of of things that you are really rooting for or really think will make it in any um, other category? Well, I was just saying uh, before we hopped on here, I was saying on the Discord that I'm really rooting for um, random short live action. Uh, I want both um, Night of Fortune and um, Invincible to get in. So fingers crossed on those random category. Um, what else am I rooting for? Well, hey, I don't for, know. for live action sword, that's always what no one knows how to predict. So might right. as well just go with your two. <laughs> I mean, I, everyone else in the Discord was predicting against that because I'm not I, I know like the Almodovar one and the um and the latest one from Kuaran are, are definitely like favorites Rest to get Anderson. in. But yeah. But yeah. I these are the two that have my heart. So I when I when it comes to the shorts, I follow my heart more. And actually that helped me last year. Okay, so follow Alicia's heart. Not your heart, Alicia's heart specifically. <laughs> if it has a lot of heart, then, you know, don't underestimate it, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't have the stats and figures. Okay. Um, and, and one, I have to shout out one film that didn't, that's not going to be nominated for an Oscar, but is nominated for the Spirits, is The Chronicles of a Wandering Saint was such a delightfully quirky examination of life mm-hmm. and marriage. And I want everyone to seek it out and watch it. Awesome, awesome. Oh, you mentioned you're an anime fan. Um, Boy in the mm-hmm. Heron, do you think it gets anything aside from from Best Animated Feature nomination? Well, I mean, there's there's attention to the score too, right? Yeah, so um, maybe, maybe as I'm, as I'm hitting at, maybe uh, we get Joe Hisashi's score. That would be excellent, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know... Yeah. Oh, and I, there's one other that I, I my favorite for a documentary right now is Four Daughters. Watch that one. Four Daughters. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely in the conversation. Um, I think I have it more. I think I have it in documentary right now. I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, I think it's on VOD, so I think I can get to it when I need to. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's both in documentary um, and international, so it has a chance. Double shot. Yeah. I. I. I mean, it's just such an. It's again, it's a nuanced character examination, but of real people. 
and awesome. but with a mix of so it's like if you like Nathan Fielder shows, um, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that meets Little Women meets a very intense documentary about radicalization in Tunisia. Okay, okay. Um, any other films, Oscar wise or not, that you want to shout out that that you've seen recently or, or from the past year or so? Yeah, I mean, oof. <laughs> I've been watching so many films. Um, I think, yeah, those are. Those are some of the ones that I was most. I, I mean, I'm really excited about the animated category. I love Suzume. I loved uh, Nimona. I really hope that Nimona gets in. Um, and of course, I think that uh, Across the Spider Verse will and should win. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And awesome. uh, yeah, I'm excited about about international. Even though the Dutch movie Sweet Dreams didn't get in, watch it anyway. <laughs> okay, okay, Sweet Dreams, Sweet Dreams. Um, and then anything from 2020. I know there's a lot of good stuff coming out in 2024. Yeah. Anything you're looking forward to? I mean, I, I guess I'm more focused at this point on like the blockbusters of that year. So like, I'm looking forward to the new Dune. I'm uh, looking forward to Deadpool three. I'm a big Marvel fan. I'm wearing a Marvel sweatshirt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, yeah, there's, they're also going to start The Wicked. I'm, I'm into musicals, so I'm excited to see Wicked on the big screen. And on the smaller side, there's a new Diablo Cody movie coming out, Lisa Frankenstein. And it I want to see that, actually. So fun and charming. I'm really excited for that. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I, I have that penciled in as a potential Valentine's Day date with my, with my wife. Oh, so yeah, fun. that's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that you, Dune specifically, I know you have a podcast that's looking to, to cover Dune. So I think this is a good time as anyone. Where can people find you online? Your, your letterbox? Tell us about your podcast. I, I gave the titles at the start, but tell us a little bit more about them. Uh, yeah, so my podcast is called Wool Shift Dust, and we started as a silo podcast, but since then we've covered um, like the fall of the House of Usher. I'm a big Poe fan. Um, we've covered Beacon 23, which is another adaptation of a Hugh Howie novel. Um, we've covered uh, It's a Wonderful Life, a deep dive into the original multiverse movie. And we're starting the Dune series now, which is we're going through uh, a deep dive into the book and every adaptation so far leading up to and beyond Dune 2 opening in March. Uh, so just looking at like, I call it the adaptation analysis podcast. So looking Wait, at... Uh, uh, it looks like, it sounds like genre films mostly, right? Or genre genre media. Right? Yeah, genre adaptations. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. We have another podcast that, that you're on also, um, right? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a regular guest and co-host on the Lorehounds, especially the MC Universe uh, portion of it, but also, yeah, other parts like we talked about Napoleon and the Creator, and uh, that's it. We're gonna do a uh, an Oscar um, prep series with three okay. episodes uh, leading up to the Oscars. Good, so, a good, a good, a good companion to, to this episode for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and and we'll yeah, you have, um, what's it? Echoes coming out, right? For the, for the MCU, yep. right? Yeah. We just recorded today the um, wrap up for season one, season two of what if, and a preview episode for echo and echoes coming out this week. I'm very excited about it. Awesome. Awesome. And in social media, Leatherboxd, Twitter formerly known yeah, as X so, or X. Uh, you can find Twitter. me on most social media at Alicia C B. So my first name, E L Y S I A C B. Um yeah, you can find me on like Twitter, Insta Blue Sky. I just joined threads, but I haven't posted anything there yet. Um and on Letterboxd, I think my name is my gamer name, it's Elixia thirteen. I L L Y X I A thirteen. Um and yeah, uh, you can also find me on the Discord for AODR. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure finally, you know, finally getting to talk to you face to face. Um, you know, I think we'll align, you know, this time, you know, May, December first, hold over second, Maestro, eh. But yeah. you know, we'll 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 I think I think this is a good episode and you know, definitely looking forward to hearing more of your predictions throughout the season. Uh well, thank and, you for and having good luck me. with your race. Thank you. Thank you. And to you too. Awesome, awesome. See you next time. All right. Thanks again to Alicia for hopping on the podcast with me. As always, all of her social medias uh, will be in the show notes. In particular, be sure to check out uh, both her podcasts, uh, World Shift Dust, which I imagine will have a lot of stuff to say uh, with the Dune 2 coming out later this year. Um, and also MCU Lorehounds um, on all the podcast services. Finally, before you go, once again, be sure to check out the AODR Film Festival, still ongoing as of the episode releasing. Uh, they just announced a couple more shortlisted films for the Oscars uh, in rotation there, bringing the total up to 11. Um, and that's, you know, running through the end of next week on January 21st. Um, I actually did another Q- uh, filmmaker Q&A uh, with a sibling pair, um, uh, the writer, actor, and editing pair of the short film Bibisitos, uh, one of whom is actually uh, a member of our own community, um, Andy. Um, he's a fellow death racer. Um, and you know I'll probably have this on that episode that interview on this feed as well as the AODR YouTube channel um, later this weekend you can check out the festival and get your tickets still at AODR.net and once again, you know, I'm just going to remind you once again, uh, you can enter my nominations contest to see if you can guess correctly uh, who uh, the, the correct slate of people of nominees uh, at the Oscars on January 23rd. Links are in the show notes. Uh, go for glory and bragging rights. Good luck, everyone. Anyway, next week on the podcast, we'll have two more episodes. Uh, first, we'll have the last episode of my Best Picture Preview with a gentleman from Classic Movies Live, Jeff and Pierre. Uh, we had some post-production issues, unfortunately, we need to resolve. So even though it was the first interview I recorded, it'll actually be the last out. But hey, we're going to be talking about the big four films, I think, of this phase. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Kills the Flower Moon, and Poor Things. And then middle of next week, uh, to the end of late, le- next week, we'll, to help you with your nomination prediction contest, we'll have regular guest and friend of the show, Dakota, from Zoom Pod on to help make some predictions for who will get nominated. Um, I'd like to think, aside from my brain, my brain-headed move where we talk about uh, me taking my ass out of Best Picture, I think it still should be rather helpful for you. Um, in any case, that wraps up my episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race is going, or again, yell at me for my takes on Maestro, uh, over on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast, or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the Sigourney Podcast Service of Choice, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Uh, and if you can leave us a review there, or even just share it with a friend who loves movies, any of that is super helpful. Uh, those will be linked in the show notes, alongside my Letterboxd account under the username NinjaBoard, where with an I. Also, be sure to check out the Oscar Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits, and the Academy of Death Racers Discord, as well as AODR.net, OscarsDeathRace.com, and DeathRaceTracking.com. Uh, music provided by Kevin McLeod, adding competent.filmmusic.io, editing production by Ninsboy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race Podcast, and until next time, I'll be here, trying to watch all the Oscar nominees, or die trying. Mm-hmm.